Weirdo bookworms, unite. We want to share our love of genre fiction with you. Some readers out there may look down on you for your love of horror, sci-fi, and fantasy, but not us. So stop by as we discuss what we've been reading. Hi, genre junkies. Hello, everybody. That's Scott. And that's Sandra. (laughs) And here we are for another horror episode, because why the heck not? Why the heck not, indeed. And we... (laughs) We are so excited to talk today about the second book we have read by David Sodergren, Mm -hmm. who is uh, known on social media as Paperbacks and Pugs. We have reviewed and loved and talked a lot about his first novel, The Forgotten Island. This is his second novel. And you never know what you're going to get with a follow-up novel from an author's debut novel. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this this is really exciting to be able to talk about it. And mm-hmm. we're going to have an interview with him between Yay! this and the spoiler section. Surprise! Um, we we adore David. We adore his social media presence. We adore his writing. Um, he is a just bright, fun, disturbed mind <laughs> to come into the horror scene. And... We're going to talk to you about this new book. So, Night Shoot by David Sodergren. I guess you probably want to hear a little bit about it. But before I do, Scott. Sandra. Any cool, related, genre, pop culture things for our roundtable discussion today? Well, I mean, uh, we've been watching Sabrina, Mm -hmm. which is very good. So good. Second season, just as good as season one. And uh, we also saw... Endgame, which is mm-hmm. mm, amazing, well, perfect way to finish that you know twenty three movie series. Yes, um, we also. Oh, I shouldn't say we. I also watched a horror movie recently that I've been meaning to get around to. It came out a while back, uh, called Pod P O D Pod, and I was in the mood for like an alien sort of thing. Uh, this was not at all what I was expecting, and it was a pleasant surprise of how much I enjoyed this movie and how really good it was, well-acted, smart. It made me jump a couple times, too, and not like in a bad, cheap way, but like in a, oh, dear God, sort of way. Is this the one that you were watching downstairs when yes. I was upstairs and with the screams and the, yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah. It sounded scary. It's, it's a, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of people yelling at a high volume. Yeah, uh, I actually had to come down about 15 minutes into that movie and adjust the volume on the TV so it didn't bounce up and down so loudly. I told him, I was like, I'm sorry, I can't control the way these people are sounding. And uh, I watched that on Shudder, which, thank God, thank God, thank Black Phillip for Shudder. Thank Payman. It's a really good streaming service. I love it so much. I just want to sit in front of television and do nothing but watch Shudder. It's like all I want to do. And unfortunately, I don't have a lifestyle that allows for that. It's funny how, you know, with all the cord cutting that's going on, I mean, really, even if we were to cut the cord, we'd still be paying a lot in all of the streaming services that we subscribe to. Well, that's, Hulu, Netflix, yeah, Shutter. I mean, just that everything. happens to everybody yeah. who, who does a cord cutting is you end up subscribing to a lot of services because you just you got to catch them all. It's like Pokemon. Not that we are cutting the cord because there's just too much genre goodness to watch on TV. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to talk to you about Night Shoot. Ready for your recap? Oh, I'm ready. Okay. My body is ready. <laughs> 
A group of desperate student filmmakers break into Crawford Manor for an unauthorized night shoot. They have no choice. Their lead actress has quit. They're out of time. They're out of money. They're out of luck. For Crawford Manor has a past that won't stay dead. And the crew are about to come face to face with the hideous secret that stalks the halls. Will anyone survive the night shoot? A delirious homage to the slasher movies of the 1980s, Night Shoot delivers page after page of white-knuckle terror. I mean, if that does not captivate you, I I don't know. Check your pulse. It really is actually an inventive take on slasher fiction. I I really like the... It it almost evokes a little bit of a cinema verite to it. Mm -hmm. Like, it's a little bit fourth wall breaking where they're filming a, a, a movie and it's also a horror yeah. I, I liked it a lot. No, I agree. Um, there is definitely some kind of, I don't know, kind of a, a meta, a little bit of an inside joke thing for horror fans about movies. Um, I don't want to say it's like, I guess in a way, some of the stuff is kind of satirical about, you know, the people making these films and about horror and the slasher subgenre, but always with the utmost respect and deep love for the subgenre. So I guess we should say our experience scores. Let's do it. So for me, this was a total page turner. Total page turner. Really adored reading this book. I hated putting it down. It made me laugh. It made me cringe. It made me disgusted. It made me happy. We are going to give a little trigger warning before the spoiler section. I mean, well, yeah, let's wait till the spoiler. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll wait. Should we, we'll wait. Should we do now? No, we'll, we'll, we'll wait. We'll, we'll wait for the spoiler section. Just uh, we, uh, have, we have rules here on this show. <laughs> we have a formula. God bless it. So right before we dive into the spoiler section, we'll give you a trigger warning thing and then um, let you know when we're going to talk more about the book. But anyway, it was all of those things and more. A, uh, a triumphant follow-up to his first novel, but very different. So I'm, I'm going to start my experience score with my score, and that is it was a page turner. But starting this book was one of the most terrifying propositions to me to date on the show. Why? Because I was so surprised and Did you and fear pleased. like a sophomore slump? Like Exactly. I, you know, the first book that, that we read by him, it was, it was just like a like a really great surprise that yeah. this person that we we love and we follow on Instagram who and Twitter who, yeah who who wrote a, a a horror book and it turned out to be really really good mm-hmm. and there there was there wasn't as much pressure on that first one because it was just kind of oh okay this will be fun and turned out to be fantastic this one I really had so much fear that it wouldn't live up to the Forgotten Island and I mean it turned out. It absolutely did. Mm. I, it, my 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 trepidation was completely unfounded. This was a great follow up to his first book. Sodergren's the real deal. He is the real deal. You know, there's a lot of um, oh, let's say pitfalls that new authors fall into. Um, and he doesn't. And like, and I totally am fine with the things that early and first time authors do. And so are you. We're very, I don't want to say forgiving. Yeah, but it doesn't very, bother me. Yeah, we're very forgiving. We're like, oh, cool. You know, they're finding their footing. They're finding their voice. You know, maybe a little bit more exposition is needed or whatever. No, no. Like he doesn't, he doesn't have any of those like 
little forgivable boo-boos. You feel like he's been writing forever. And even though his first two novels are so different, they're still his voice. Yeah, you could really feel him beneath the writing. Yes. He has a he has a flavor. He has a a feeling. He has a style and and he stays very true to it while being able to definitely uh uh expand. Yeah, but it's a little freakish like how how not first-time authory he is in either of his first two novels. He's fantastic. It's good. it's a little freakish, it's a little scary. It is a little scary and it's it, you know, it makes me wonder. He's possessed. Yeah. I'm saying David Sodogren is possessed. Or he's just reincarnated. Sure. Both. All of the above. So we got this book about these characters. They are film students. They're making this movie. Uh, we have a heroine in this one named Elspeth. Elspeth. Elspeth, I think. I have a hard time saying that name, but it is not Elizabeth. Yes, it is definitely not Elizabeth. It's very important that you know it is not Elizabeth. It's and, Elspeth. And I imagine people who have that name get that a lot. So she is kind of our every girl in a lot of ways. Um, kind of that standard horror lady with a twist, though, because she is quite smart, quite funny, quite... I don't want to say virtuous isn't the right word. She has a great sense of justice and of morality, but not like in a creepy biblical way, but like in a standing up for herself way. Uh, really cool, cool heroine. And she also happens to be a lesbian and has a great girlfriend too, which is also just a wonderful way to see her not fall into a trope. Yeah, she's not your she's not your standard heroine in a book, and not because of that. She's just and her being gay is not, you know, a gotcha or a grab or him trying to placate or anything like that. It's just wonderful. It's just she happens to be a gay woman. And it plays into her relationships a little bit with the other characters, but it's not but her it's defining like it's, characteristic. Well, it's because it's their problem, not hers. Exactly. Yeah. That's a very that's a very good way to put it. And we love that. We're totally all about any diversity we can get in books. We're always hungry for it. And she has a really strong inner dialogue that I really appreciate. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of uh, moments that could come off as unbelievable uh, character choices that because of her strong, well-realized internal dialogue becomes completely believable and and you really feel for her. Oh, you really do. And I'm very much rooted for her throughout the book and through everything that's happening. It's like, okay, Elspeth, like, I believe in you, girl. Keep going. Keep going. Um, one thing that I think we both like about David's characters in both of his novels is um, he writes great, unlikable characters. And sometimes they're unlikable, like, in a way that a classmate you're working on a film with, like, you just don't get along. They're just kind of lame. And then other times, they're skeevy and problematic. What's great about his characters is that even though they are many of them incredibly unlikable they're st- they're they're unlikable in a believable way uh they're they're not uh stand-ins for you know the mustache twirling bad guys they're not um over exaggerated there are really a lot of people out there that have a lot of these negative traits i mean we all have some of these well yeah and that's his characters range from that from being like yeah you're kind of lame to being like you are a horrible person and they're really believable which makes them all the more unlikable 
Um, we're going to get into some specifics in the spoilers section as far as the uh, nuts and bolts horror is concerned. But this is most certainly a horror novel. There's no mistaking it. This is written by a horror fan for people like us and like many others who love the genre. And it's a love letter to horror. And it's gross and just disturbing and violent and violent and vile and all of those words in the best best possible way Uh, as i've said before you know he writes books for us twisted sickos and that's what we want but it's like it's it's not only does it pay off but it's just a good read it's just a good enjoyable story he's very masterful at setting a scene as well uh he knows exactly when to add description when it comes to the setting when it comes to the action when it comes to the violence he's very tactical when it comes to (laughs) where where he you know adds descriptions and where he 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 moves forward with what he's writing uh, I would say, too, especially in this novel, you really see how good he is at writing action as well. And that's always something I, I think we like to point out in our reviews is when people can write action and kind of like fight choreography very well. It's very difficult. It is very difficult. And um, his is very good. I also kind of like uh, with his characters in this novel when they're fighting sometimes they like mess up (laughs) like they don't do a good job and they get hurt and stuff like they're not action heroes they're real people like fighting for their lives you know they're fumbling about they're they're not none of them are trained fighters none of them are they're just it's like that scene with roddy piper where they're just and they live and they live they're just scrapping on the ground and and that is actually a very well choreographed fight, but it's oh, yeah. it's realistic. Yeah, from one of the best horror movies of all time, we would say. There's a good amount of face plants and falling on your butt in this in this book. Well, and um, these two things are not necessarily related, but did I mention it's funny? It's funny. Like, it made me laugh out loud a few times. And uh, we first read this on uh, Kindle because uh, we were sent it by David. And so we highlighted a lot of stuff, which was really fun to, because I read through it first and then I gave it to Scott to read so he could kind of see like the stuff that made me like really crack up. And I added a whole lot of highlights myself. There's a lot of really good nuggets. <laughs> yeah. Well, lots of good little nugs in there. Scary, spooky, and funny nugs. All the nugs. So Scott, let's Let's have you give us the appeal score first. Okay, well, I think that Night Shoot has a niche appeal, but it is in a great way. You said it yourself. It is a love letter to horror slasher fans, and you could not get anything more perfect for those kind of fans. I don't know if it has anything in there that's going to bring the masses to it, uh, It and and that's kind of to its benefit. It doesn't, you know... David doesn't try too hard to to create this deep-seated message in this. It's just a lot of fun if you love that genre. 
And it's really, it's really such a funny, contradictory thing to say how fun this vile of a book is. But, um, but it is, but it is fun. And Scott and I were talking about both of his novels have great rereadability. I can see myself picking this up, especially Night Shoot, but both of them when I'm in a book hangover and I need to just read something to kind of refresh my palate. I, I can see this being it. I agree, and I don't normally go to horror books as a book hangover book, but these are, they're super scary, but they're super fun at the same time. So I'm kind of with you in the appeal, by the way. Um, Within niche, I'm going to say, okay, so it's a niche. It's a niche, right? It's a horror book. It's not going to be like, oh, well, I kind of like some mystery thrillers, so maybe I'll try that. It's not quite like that. But within niche, it's broad. Because I think it'll captivate a whole lot of horror fans. I agree with that. It doesn't fit just into slasher fiction. This is if you if you enjoy horror, you'll oh. love this book. And you know what else is fun? This might be dumb, but it's fun. So obviously, we live in America. We live in California. Uh, it's Scottish. David's Scottish, and it takes place in Scotland, and that's just fun. It is fun, and I have a little bit of a thing for Scotland. Yeah, uh, I would. Uh, some would say obsession. Uh, bordering on, on yeah, yeah I yeah. was in a bagpipe band. I played the tenor drums. Mm-hmm. I you can play the chanter a little bit. Uh, I well, I can. Yeah, I never really got the hang of actually, you know, work in the bag exactly. But uh, <laughs> I believe that's the technical term. I I listened to bagpipe music for fun. He loves Scottish history. He loves Scottish everything. Uh, yeah. So it was it was a lot of fun. There was definitely. There is some of that in The Forgotten Island, but there was, I mean, it was set in Scotland in yeah. in this book. And I, that was just kind of a fun thing for me. And contemporary, too. Yeah. Yes. Contemporary Scotland. Okay, so obviously we love this, and we want to talk to you even more in depth and give you that little trigger warning if you would like to hear it. So how about let's do the interview, and then we'll come back. See you soon. <laughs> So without further ado, we would like to introduce you to our friend and yours, David Sodergren. Hi, David. Hello. (laughs) How are you doing? Good, how are you? I'm very well, thanks. Did we say your last name right? How do you say your last name? Very close. No, it's uh, correctly, it would be uh, Sodergren, which is Swedish, but I just, I I will answer to anything. If you're close, then that's fine. Let me see you if did, I got this you right. Did quite well. Yeah, Sodergrain, is that right? Sodergrain. Oh, that's. Two dots cool. above the O, which I didn't bother putting in. Yeah, the little umlaut things. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm Finnish and um, Russian, so I'm used to that sort of like vibe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. No one gets it right, and you know, I don't mind. <laughs> no one gets my last name right either. I feel you, but we try, we try. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> All right, so you may have. Uh, heard us talk about David before. We reviewed The Forgotten Island, which is a book we're not so secretly obsessed with. And we just read his newest book, Night Shoot. And we're going to talk to David a little bit. So let's get it going, Scott. Well, I have to say, before we do anything else, we just have to get it out of the way. For anybody who does not follow you on Instagram or Twitter, please introduce us to Boris. Oh, Boris is my pug, and he's, he's sitting next to me just now. And he looks very sleepy and a bit grumpy. Oh. And he is my, my writing companion. So he sits next to me while I'm writing all my books. In fact, Night Shoot is uh, dedicated to Boris. 
Oh, oh my They're goodness. Still. So is he pretty, like, low-key? He's not, like, a high-energy sort of dog? No, 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 no. He just he likes to lie, and as long as he's touching you or near you. So he'll sit and lie across you, but then if you go to the kitchen, he'll follow you through like a wee shadow, and oh. then he'll come back and, and sit next to so He needs to have attention. So quite often when I'm typing, he'll, he'll try and walk and lie across the keyboard, oh. um, which doesn't help because he always manages to delete something. But... <laughs> But it's my lucky charm. Oh, he's almost like a cat in a lot of ways. Yes, he likes to get behind the settee and crawl around your neck like a little scarf. <laughs> a little hairy scarf. Yeah. Snoring in your ear. Oh, yeah. <laughs> little snores. Oh my God, he's precious. Boris is uh, something we look forward to seeing on Instagram quite a lot. <laughs> I actually have the picture saved of him in Mother's Wig from Psycho. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Whenever I'm sad, I look at that and I'm instantly cheered. I couldn't get a very good photo because of that. He doesn't, he doesn't like things going on his head, but that is uh, that was a favourite of mine, yeah. <laughs> no, because people, someone sent him a hat once, a little sort of flat bonnet cap, wee Scottish hat. But um, we took him to the beach and put it on, but he, he was not a fan. No, no hats, no wigs for Boris. No, no. Oh. He's a wee diva. <laughs> oh, that's precious. Thank you for introducing us to Boris. We felt that everybody should... So if you should... hear someone snoring during the interview, it's him, not not me, presumably. Well, <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Then. Right? <laughs> that's acceptable. All right. So now we've got another question for you. We love to ask writers this question. And it's kind of embarrassing. Oh, dear. What is the first story you remember writing? I I started off writing, um, I remember writing sort of sequels to uh, horror films that I liked. So there was definitely a child's play. I want to say three. <gasps> I don't think it was before. I think it was before three had come out, and um, which was a page long. <laughs> It's like a short it was, film. It was not great. I do still have. I think I've got the very first horror story I ever wrote. My mum recently was uh, raking around in the in the house, and she found the first story I think we I ever wrote, um, in which my class is decimated by aliens, um, and everyone dies in a really gory way. And I think that I was in primary three, so that would put me as about seven or eight years old, I think. And everyone dies apart from me. I live. Of course you do. Yeah. Congratulations. You're the final girl. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's um, so definitely, yeah, It all started off as writing um, sequels to, to horror films and things like that. I, cause I, was, I was seeing them at far too young an age. Um, and yeah. <laughs> Is there such a thing? I think a lot of us started young. It turned us into what we are today. Yes. I remember my gran always saying to my mum that I would grow out of it. And 30 odd years later, here we are. So. Right. It's not just a phase, mom and grandma. <laughs> That's yeah. It. yeah, yeah. So, your your new novel, Night Shoot, uh, is about film students working on their final project. Uh, did you go to film school as well? Because it feels very authentic. I did. And in fact, we shot our final fourth year film in an old mansion in the middle of nowhere. Oh so, my gosh. Uh, <laughs> so this this is based in some reality. Yes, luckily, um, not entirely reality. Um, <laughs> and thankfully, the, the people I worked with were um, were a lot nicer. Although, to be honest, the the final result of our film was just a, as terrible as uh, Robert Crawford's film would have been in the book. It was called The Red Doll, and it was it was around the time, the height of um, sort of J-horror, sort of The Ring and things, so a girl went to 
a little house and was haunted by a girl in a red dress and it was just awful i'm trying not to swear because you can swear you can swear it's okay yeah it was fucking shite (laughs) (laughs) i hope they're not listening to this right (laughs) what was your um like thing were you camera were you a director what were you oh this is uh, this is gonna sound terrible because uh, i was the editor and uh, unfortunately in the book the editor is about the only nice person um But that wasn't intentional. Um, I was the editor, but we were also sort of there uh, just helping out carrying um, dolly tracks that weighed a, a ton sort of thing up, hills and things. Um, yeah. it, it was a, a good experience. It was a laugh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, the end result was sh- shall remain unseen forever, hopefully. But uh, yes, yeah, so it's definitely um, based on, uh, on a, a sort of reality. Oh, that's super cool. I, I I have to say I can't join you in that. I hope it does see the light of day. <laughs> <laughs> I have a copy of it. Um, yeah, right. I may not. Have, oh yeah. Said if you've not seen there is a. Have you seen the horror film that I made with Boris? No. How no, I don't know if I ever put that on Instagram. I maybe just put it on Twitter. The Zombo Doggo Horror. Oh, we're going back. Oh, we need to find this. Oh, yes. We <laughs> failed you. No, it's fine. It's a key part of my oeuvre. That. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, a 10 minute long film with me, my wife, my mum and dad and Boris about zo- a zombie outbreak caused by a radioactive pug. Ah! Oh, this sounds perfect. This sounds like everything I need in my life. It's something else. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I've only got one line and I put in an American accent and I apologize in advance for you uh, for you watching it. Oh, no, hey, that's- guys! <laughs> we're, we're, we're used to it. Yeah, we are. Yeah, yeah sorry. <laughs> no. um, so I take it horror led you to go to film school then? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I always thought I wanted to make horror films growing up. Um, and I did. I used to make loads and loads of silly horror films and things. Um, and I got to uni and, of course, there they did not like us making horror films. They wanted art movies and things like that. So I made a couple of sort of short horror uh, pieces as a director mm-hmm. and i kind of figured out that i don't actually like working with people <laughs> <laughs> and so the uh, the route of being a writer uh, suddenly made a lot more sense because i don't have to answer to anyone that's right yeah it's just like yeah. your vision it's not so collaborative yeah exactly that, well, that makes me sound like a terrible misanthrope but that, that's fine <laughs> that's fine that's fine too <laughs> yeah <All right. laughs> So when did you start writing novels? Um, Forgotten Island was my first published one, obviously. Um, uh, a year before, I'd been thinking about it for years and years, um, probably well, about six or seven or something, and I'd never quite got around to it. I read constantly, and I love horror and, and, and reading and things. But I think I just, I didn't think I could do it. Um, and then before Forgotten Island, I tried one, which might see the light of day one day, about undead skeletons in the Scottish mountains. Um, it was pretty rubbish. It's got some good ideas and things. Uh, 2016 was when I uh, sort of got the idea for Forgotten Island when I was on my honeymoon. Um, wait, 2017. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, well, my wife will hear that. Um, yes, two years ago. Yes, so that was when I wrote Forgotten Island. Um yeah, but before that, I hadn't really, uh, hadn't really done much. I'd written screenplays and things like that for uh, uni and stuff, but uh, so my first attempt to write in fiction was the the Karen Gorm horror just before Forgotten Island. Uh, what's your favorite step in the writing process? I maybe it's the the film editor of me, but I kind of like the editing part, which uh, I know oh. a lot of people don't like. Um, 
I enjoy the outlining a lot because that's for that's. I basically think of my outline as my first draft. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll work on the pacing and the, the plot points and the beats and things, even bits of dialogue and things within the outline. Because you can sort of figure out then your first draft's not a total total mess. Um, it's a it's a, a terrible mess, but not a total mess. Um, <laughs> yeah, the actual first draft is a, a nightmare because it's the part that takes the longest, and you don't want to keep stopping. With the outline, you can stop, come back six months later, and be like, "Oh yeah, that's that's a good ending to that." <laughs> but the first draft, you feel you just want to work through it, and it's oh, it's a bit of a faff. But the editing parts, that's great fun. I'll have to sort of delve into the minutia of just changing a comma here and adding a, a word, taking a wee word out there and things, just trying to make it as uh, sort of fast-paced and readable as possible. Yeah, I'd say the editing, yeah. Okay. We'll that. That's a really cool perspective. We certainly do not hear that a lot from authors, so that's kind of interesting. No, I mean, it is frustrating in a way, but then also it's when it really starts to fall together. You know, you can read, but when you read back your first draft, you're like, what is this garbage? What am I going to do with this? <laughs> Once you're actually like putting it together, and you're, you're sort of like, oh, that's a that's a nice bit, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, oh wait, that doesn't suck. That's pretty good. <laughs> Not terrible, yeah. <laughs> so, you, do you do all the editing yourself, or do you, do you have an editor or employee beta readers? That that's that's by the way not a not a loaded question. We're terrible at beta reading. I'm just curious. No, um, I I don't. <laughs> oh, there he goes. Do you hear him? Oh, hi, oh. Boris. Hi, Boris. Right, yes. <laughs> um, uh, eight editors and beta readers. Yes, I don't use an actual editor, unfortunately. Um, I just can't afford one. Uh, so what I do is I, I edit myself mostly. So first of all, I run it through uh, one of those sort of pro-writing aid type editing software things. That catches all the really, really, really basic, silly stuff that you've just missed, the passive voice and things like that. Then I'll read it. Basically, I'll read it through nine ten times then i'll read it out loud then i'll put it through a thing that reads it out loud to me mm-hmm. then i send it off to beta readers um my beta readers are always great i've got one guy in particular bradley freeman who's also an author um wrote an amazing horror book called reek highly recommend that he's basically my unofficial editor so he's the guy that really is amazing at pointing out plot points and mistakes and uh, I just give me great ideas and things, ways to improve it. Every, every suggestion he makes is always an actual improvement to the book, and they wouldn't be as good as they are. Um, you know, that sounds big-headed. But they wouldn't be any good <laughs> without him, you know. So that's the Scott in me there. I can't, I can't praise myself too much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's really cool. Okay. So, yes, thank you, Bradley. We owe you a lot as readers. Yeah, absolutely. And I have to go back. You said that there's editing software? Yeah, so you've got things like, you know, Grammarly, I've not really used that. Basically, you just you chuck your text and hit a button, and a few seconds later it comes back and it, it points it. The, the thing that I always that I love about it is it points out your repeated words. Oh. You know, so if you've used the same word twice in the one, you know, because it's, it's so easy to do, um, it will point out those things for you. So I use that to eliminate a lot of repetition and things. Um, but even just pointing out if you've used a certain word too often, yeah, it's 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 you know it's not a substitute for an editor by any means, but it's really good for catching the the basic silly things that when you're just sort of reading through yourself, you tend to miss. Okay. Yeah, that's news to me. I didn't know that there was so much software out there for that. That's really cool. Yeah, you can use it for not just fiction and things as well. You can set it so it's reading for um you know papers or whatever, whatever they, whatever people do. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so. As horror fans, we'd like to know, do you freak yourself out when you're writing? And what was more disturbing to write, The Forgotten Island or Night Shoot? Ooh, well, 
I, there's occasional bits where I've, I kind of, when I'm writing it, I'm like, oh, this is fine, this is fine, yep, 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 stabs him in the dick, yep, that's fine. Um, <laughs> and then when I read it back, it's sometimes I have been a bit like, oh, come on. <laughs> like, what's wrong with you? Um, there's a couple of bits, there's one, I don't want to spoil things in Night Shoot, but there's a death where someone gets their face sort of pulled apart. Yeah, and, yeah. And as, as I was I wrote that, and as I sort of put my fingers in my own mouth to try and see what it would be like and pulled and felt like the pressure going up to it. And I was like, oh, that's disgusting. That's awful. <laughs> um, however, Forgotten Island, I've got a terrible fear of spiders. I hate <gasps> them. That's why created that book really and so like when i was writing the, the, the part towards the end you always say i did have to uh google spiders and have a really good look at them <laughs> and you know just and I, I always write late at night so i'm sitting there just about to go to bed i'm googling these giant horrible birdie in spiders and things <laughs> and i'm like i'm not gonna sleep it's <laughs> nice right it's it you just know it's in your room it's in the corner of the ceiling meets yeah. the wall yeah it's waiting oh, for you in the shower all its eyes all of its eyes <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic. I mean, I've I've kind of gotten over my arachnophobia a little bit, but spiders have a way of surprising you. Like, you know, because they can just drop right down in front of your face or they can be in your coffee cup. It's never a pleasant surprise either. They don't come baiting gifts. It's just the <laughs> gift of terror. It's, uh... I read something great the other day that was, nobody knows how many spiders there are in the world, but every spider knows how many humans there are. <laughs> oh. Oh, yeah, Again, uh, ideas for Forgotten Island too. Now, good to- <laughs> so that makes me think about how well you have a grasp of different horror tropes as well as phobias. Is there, is there anything that you just can't stand? Any tropes that you don't ever want to approach? Cell phones are the worst. Um, what I tried to do for Forgotten Island, at least, was like, if, like, if you can't beat them, join them. So I thought, right, I can't get around the fact they've got phones, so I'll just make that whole part of the plot is that that's how they are able to track each other with their phones, mm-hmm. use them as torches and things. Um, when Night Shoot, yeah, sort of got away with <laughs> the, the lack of phones because they're out in the middle of, uh, you know, up on the coast of Scotland. There's no signal there anywhere. It's terrible. It's a, right. a forbidden place. Um, and yeah, that's kind of the worst. I, it, you know what? It's just the, oh my God, we've got no signal. Sorry, there's my American <laughs> accent. I get my God. It's perfect though. Actually pretty good. <laughs> um, yeah, that's pretty tiresome. Um, the other thing as well, this is more for sort of the horror books that I read rather than movies and things. But what I've tried to do is I, I love sort of James Herbert books, Sean Hudson, the sort of seventies, eighties uh, horror guys, yeah. and they wrote amazing stories. But their heroes were always these really bland, boring, sort of lantern jawed, pipe smoking older men. These professors and things. They were the heroes, and the women were always just these screaming bimbos needing rescued and stuff. So that is a, a trope uh, thing that I'm I'm fed up with. That's what I've tried to get away from. Um, with my books is to not have the bland masculine hero character. Oh, amen. And we love that. We love <laughs> that in your books. I have to say your characters are never uninteresting. <laughs> <laughs> They're also not always particularly likable people, but uh, they are uh, not uninteresting. I've, I've set myself a goal of writing a book with more than two likable characters. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, the, the one I'm working on at the moment, I've not reached that, but I'm going to try. <laughs> bloody well try. 
Can you give us like your top five horror movies, five or so? Oh, that is how to stress me out. Yeah, yeah. We like to ask the tough questions on genre junkies. Right. Um, I'm just going to go off the top of my head. Um, the Beyond, the Lucio Fulci film. Um, Hannibal Holocaust. Yes. A, yeah. Um, uh, just for the amount of times I've seen it and the impact it had as a child. Uh, the Evil Dead. Um, oh, God. If you could see me now, I'm having a meltdown right, right here. You're sweating. <laughs> um, <laughs> On a miserable rainy Scottish day, you've got me sweating. Um, oh, you know, the Dawn of the Dead, the, the original Romero Dawn of the Dead, that's got to be up there, surely. Yeah. Um, and last one, let's pick a wild card. Um, Jess Franco's Female Vampire. There we are. I love a bit of uh, weird 70s art house heroic horror. So oh, <laughs> let's nice. throw that one in there. <laughs> That is awesome. And you know what? All of those movies, I, I'm not surprised at all those are your favorites. I'm just not surprised at all. Oh, yeah. I love it. It's exactly what I wanted you to say. All of those things are perfect for you and your style. You know, as soon as this interview's over, I'm going to be sitting there going, I can't believe I didn't mention that one and that one. <laughs> I'm kicking myself for the rest of the night. You've ruined my night. Oh, no. Ah, that's okay. Just um, In a nice know, way. It's fine. Just tell us on Twitter when you think of more. Just tweet him at us. Certainly, surely will. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely, the way seventies uh, Euro horror. That's my my number one jam. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I kind of want to roll back to your Instagram and your Twitter fame because you're kind of a star. <laughs> Stop it. People <laughs> know you. <laughs> the, the guy sitting next to me is the star. That guy. Oh, Boris. Well, I suppose he does get a little bit of the credit, but. Yeah. I'm curious. I'm curious how much that played a part into you actually deciding to publish your own work. It actually played a tremendous part in that. Um, I've got to be honest. Um, I, I, I hadn't been. A, I, was, I had no interest in Instagram and all that. I thought it was a lot of rubbish. Um, my friends were using it. I, thought, I don't care. And then I finally got a fancy smartphone back in <laughs> 2013 or something. An iPhone two or something i don't know um and i had a wee camera on i'd never had a phone with a camera it's uh it's very old school <laughs> and so i started doing instagram and then we got a pug and i thought oh this lovely beautiful man i'll take photos of him took a photo of him with a book people liked it i thought oh here we go because so my original instagram handle was um prepare yourself books is good <laughs> thank god i changed that um so then it became paperbacks and pugs, and just people seem to. I, I find that weird niche crossover point between um, fans of fluffy pugs and fla fans of nasty old horror fiction. So, um, <laughs> just you know, that is a great way to sort of get more into books again and stuff. Because I hadn't been reading as much maybe in the few years before that. Mm -hmm. I started reading a lot more and things. And that introduced me as well to sort of self-published authors and indie authors that, you know, were harder to find out about. Oh, okay. Yeah, and then that started getting me thinking again, oh, I could maybe do, you know, I could I'd give that a shot, you know. Sorry. In a way, it rekindled my love of um, reading. Certainly not horror. Horror's always been there, but it rekindled the love of reading that had maybe fallen slightly by the wayside. And, yeah, the, the, just being able to sort of talk to people, because, you know, in Scotland there's not... I don't know many horror fans. I don't know many fans of um, horror books, you know. So it's a way to chat about them, 
mm-hmm. connect and with people. Yeah, and it definitely gave me the sorry, Boris is attacking me with a toy and he's oh, really no. throwing it's, it's precious. precious. It's precious. <laughs> We're we can over hear here it. just like Swooning. dying tears falling down our faces because it's so cute. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I'd say it's a, it played a massive, massive role in uh, getting me to to publish was just the ability to sort of talk about it. Also, there was you know when I published, I had I don't the follower counts don't really matter at all, but I had about two thousand or something. And I thought you know what, if even ten percent of these people buy my book, then that's great. You know, it's yeah. it's never going to sell well. It's never going to be a big monster hit or something. Um, so yeah, I put it out there and it was more than 10% bought it. I'm pleased to say. <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I don't, honestly, if, if it wasn't for Instagram and Twitter, I have no idea whether I would have even published anything. No idea. Oh, that's really <laughs> cool. No, that's definitely, I think mine and our favorite part of social media is just connecting with people and, you know, just like kind of sharing your love for things. I've met a lot of great friends through it. Like it can work. It can be a positive thing. That's, uh, I think the amount of books that I've bought from authors where I've just, we followed each other on Instagram and Twitter for some reason, they've posted a few things and thought, oh, you're quite funny. I like what you're into. I'll buy your book. It works. <laughs> right? <laughs> it works, people. I see people say, oh, you don't need a strong social media presence. I think you do need it, but also it's it's fun. Yes, <laughs> you know? I agree. I think if you come at it from a sort of, if you come at it from a mercenary business perspective, right, where you need social media, you need to post this many times a day, you need to, then that that's not going to work. People can see through that. They can see it's uh, phony. Yeah. Um, so it has to come from a, a real honest place of love. Right. And then luckily you have this spokes model that really <laughs> helps. Yeah, absolutely. Because you can just put anything next to Boris and it's attention yeah. grabbing. Yes. <laughs> his wee tongue sticking out, you know, his, uh, his face. My mom calls it a Sammy Dreep face. That's an old oh. Scottish term for like the village idiot. Oh, um. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So I have a fun question. What's the scariest book you've ever read? You know what? It's probably, see, nothing really scares me now because I'm getting old. Yeah, um, we're jaded people, yes. Yeah. I can, you can still, when I'm reading something, I can still tell, oh, that's a scary scene and stuff. But, I mean, the thing that definitely scared me most, absolutely. I wish I had a really exciting, jazzy answer for you, but it's Stephen King's The Shining. Oh, no, um, that's fantastic. And it absolutely <laughs> is. The scene, it's in the book, not in the film. Is it in that terrible 90s version? I can't, I don't think so. Danny's walking through the corridors and he meets the, the dog boy, you know, the guy dressed as the dog, and he won't let him pass. And they just have this chat and it's just absolutely terrifying. <sighs> I think because I had seen the film and so I knew, you know, the, that brief shot of the dog boy in the bedroom. <sighs> I, 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 so I could just picture that horrible creature and I was, that that scared me a lot because I, I must have read that when I was about oh god nine or something my granny used to work in a charity shop so she would bring me home all the uh, Stephen King books <gasps> that they got in Oh, what an awesome grandma. Oh, yes. (laughs) She used to rent any horror film for me, um, as long as it uh, didn't look like it had too much sex in it. The violence didn't matter, but just not the sex, and I had to fast forward through. Um, (laughs) She would bring me home Stephen King books, so yeah, again, (laughs) I don't know where I'd be without my granny. Oh, (laughs) I love that. Oh, my gosh. And no, Stephen King, any Stephen King is always the jazziest answer in my world. Yes, that's yeah. I mean, he's the master for a reason, isn't he? Absolutely. Great. Now I'm going to be picturing the dog boy everywhere I go for the rest of yeah, the day. Sorry, 
that's that or um you picture Zelda from Pet Cemetery, you know, ah! that's even worse. Oh, oh god. god. And then you just throw in a spider, it's just nightmare fuel. Just stir it all together. <laughs> Good that's my revenge for making you uh for you making me pick my top five horror films. <laughs> it worked, it worked. <laughs> So I, I love in the end in the afterwards of your books that you talk about the 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 soundtrack of your book. Is oh, that yeah. is that part of your process as far as picking out the songs, or does it just kind of happen organically? No, you're um very you're absolutely right. That's uh, something I do before I, I I sort of have a you know I've done the outline of things. Well, actually, even before the outline, when I've got a feel for the sort of thing I'm going to be writing, I will spend a lot of time. <laughs> um, creating a sort of playlist of albums and soundtracks and things that I think would be appropriate. Um, and then I write specifically to, I put them all in a massive playlist. I try and make it about eight to 10 hours long or so and just put that on a, an endless random loop. And then I put that at the end of the book and I thought, you know, no, no one's ever actually going to read the book while listening to this music, but it's nice to do. But then someone on uh, Instagram messaged me the other day saying that they'd done just that. And it made me so happy. Oh. <laughs> she was like, it really improved reading the book like just like it really um added to it so i thought oh, that's nice maybe i'll put them in the front now i don't know oh that's fantastic actually either either way but in the front that'll that'll be kind of like get you ready make a little playlist i would love it if a book included the the soundtrack song at the beginning of every chapter and just like okay go to this song start the <laughs> chapter that's going to be in depth i i have considered that <laughs> to be honest <laughs> oh my god um i thought for the kindle version i could actually create the spotify playlist and link directly to it you know or even at the start of each chapter or something i don't know it's, it's stuff i'm playing with because i i know that oh that's i know that some people don't like reading to any music at all which i find bizarre um, yeah. strange um are you guys like that do you oh listen okay. to music when you read? we are a house divided because mm. i love background noise i especially music i always have music on or even like sports game because i do like sports in the background like i'm big on it and scott is not like that i I typically like just complete silence but i have to say that you're uh, warming to music i am warming to music while i read there there is a specific book that that mentioned a song is like i just have to put this on and it just kind of like led me down that that path of okay i actually like music playing in the background while i'm reading yeah i mean it has to be vaguely appropriate um (laughs) (laughs) you know i would listen to some upbeat uh, Europop or something while <laughs> reading Night Shoot. But, you know, uh, maybe that would work. I don't know. I don't know. I, I've not I've not tried. But, um, <laughs> yes, yeah, so for my next book, um, well, what might be my next book? I'm not really sure yet, but it's more of a sort of really dark noir. So I've got a full playlist of sort of Bernard Herrmann, um, sort of music from Cape Fear and Psycho and Taxi Driver and things like that. That's what I'm writing to at the moment, so... Oh my gosh, we're salivating. That sounds fantastic. Um, yeah, can, can you talk to us about some upcoming projects a little bit? Tease us a little? Uh, so many. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a great problem I have. I'm not going to complain about that. Um, next one that probably should be working on this week um, when I'm on holiday uh, is, uh, so I'm writing, co-writing a book with a, a Canadian author called Steve Stred. Fantastic guy, great author. Um he had an idea for a book called The Navajo Nightmare. About It's a sort of weird Western. So we're going to be working together uh, on that. Um, so it's a sort of Western, but there's very, very strong horror elements to it. Then I've got two that I'm currently working on. Uh, Dead Girl Blues is 
the one that's the sort of almost a noir, but really nasty horror noir. Um, and then there's Teenage Requiem, which is a sort of nice, sweet coming-of-age story about two teenage girls becoming friends um, with lots and lots of violence and murder in it. Oh. So that's probably... And then I've got about... <laughs> Six other ones I'm also concurrently sort of outlining and, and writing first drafts on and things. I don't even know what I'm doing at the moment. It's uh, the, the week or so after release of your, your new book is just an absolute wasteland. I've, I've no idea what I'm doing. I'll figure it out. <laughs> it's kind of a hangover process, I imagine. Yeah, exactly. It's been months and months and months building up to it. And then it's like, oh, that's it over now. It's out there. It doesn't belong to me anymore. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Oh, no, that's awesome. We love all of those projects sound fantastic. Very exciting. Uh, diverse, too, in everything. Like, because uh, Night Shoot is definitely different than Forgotten Island. And all of these sound like new uh, little little pockets to explore. That's it. They're all, they're all united by um, horror. But <laughs> within that, I can explore any sort of subgenre or, or anything that I want. I hope. We'll well, see. Yeah, and we hope that, you know, there will be a pug in all of it. Like just uh, the continuous, yes. yeah. That's the glue. The pug is the glue. That's right. You did. You did spot the little pug reference. In the, oh, Boris, he heard the word pug. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we did spot it. We did. Yeah. <laughs> if oh. there was a way to shoehorn a real pug, a, a live pug, into that book, I would have done it. But it's just like, well, Mister Crawford didn't have a pug, you know. And if, <laughs> if Sandy and Elspeth had one, then who's looking after him? I couldn't do it. So, um, yeah, it was guess, too yeah. sad. Yeah. Um. Oh, that reminds me as well. Forgotten Island too. Of course, I'm working on that. Yeah. <gasps> <laughs> Yay! Which will um, well, I won't spoil it for anyone who's not read it, but it will follow uh, any surviving characters <laughs> will return. <laughs> Let's say that you can tell we like the Forgotten Island because we keep picking it for our cocktail episodes, <laughs> and it's like, oh my god, what can we drink now while we're reading Forgotten Island? <laughs> oh, by the way, I loved your review of Forgotten Island. That was just so amazing because I was properly shitting myself um like oh. when it, you know, it's just like uh, they might hate it i don't know and just, you know if you get a, if you get if i look at my reviews and i try not to but i do if i look at one and i see it's one star then i know i'm ready and i'm like okay what is it and i'll read it and think oh, okay i can read it in 30 seconds and it's over with that's fine but with this one it was like 30 minutes <laughs> <laughs> wait for the, the the you know the penny to drop on you to be like and it's just from that point it dies the whole book dies and like, oh. but by the end of it it's like okay yes no um <laughs> they liked it well it's you know fine. you always know you make it when you start to have haters in anything yes. yeah yes <laughs> But that was very stressful. It was a very stressful day. And I'll have the same uh, on Tuesday, yeah, I imagine, when the new one comes out. Did you like Night Shoot? Do you want to spoil it for me now? <laughs> did we did. Keep me we in did. suspense. Yeah, well, we're just going to say that. We did. We did. Good. Otherwise, this will be the most awkward interview ever. <laughs> yeah, now <laughs> we're going to get into my process and things, and you're like, this guy's boots stinks. Yeah, now <laughs> we're going to get into the part of the interview where we're like, David, let's tell you about how much we hated your fucking book. Yeah. <laughs> You're not actually going to do that, are you? No. No. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much thank for you. for joining us. It, it's been it was really exciting for us to be able to talk to you and and have you on the show. Oh, thank you. No, it was really, it was exciting and incredibly nerve wracking for me. But I'm, uh, it was my first ever sort of live interview type, you know, one one to one interview. Possibly my last. We'll see how. <laughs> When I listen back, I'll be like, oh, no, I give up. <laughs> it takes a while to get used to your own voice, but no, you did fantastically. And we just have one more parting question for you. Go for it, yeah. 
where can our listeners find you? And specifically, are you ever going to tour for your books? Are you coming to Northern California asking for a friend? Oh, I'd love to. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, online you can find me on uh, Instagram at Paperbacks and Pugs. On Twitter, they've got a slightly different limit, so it's Paperbacks and Pugs. That's irritating. Um, speaking of meeting me, I'm uh, in Edinburgh on June 8th and 9th. That's Saturday and Sunday. There's the Chimera Book Festival, Horror Sci-Fi Fantasy Book Festival. I will be there with a little table uh, selling and signing books, hopefully, but won't be there unfortunately but we're looking into getting them to come along for a wee minute um so that'll be a good opportunity to meet some folk there it'd be amazing and yes i would love to come to california <laughs> <laughs> okay. would you care to start a book festival and invite me over <laughs> uh, we'll work on it you can like totally stay on like our couch we got don't worry we, we'll find you a place See, the, gen, uh, the Genre Junkies um, book festival has quite a nice ring to it, I think. Uh, David, don't, I like make that us, a lot. don't make us have to give you, like, royalties for this. Who'd for thought, you know? <laughs> if I can sit on your guy's couch, then it's fine. You can have it royalty-free. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we can fly you here, though. Not, oh, certainly not for year one. <laughs> yeah, we're going we're gonna to have to crowdsource this. <laughs> it's, in the, it's in the pipeline. <laughs> That's fine. Go fund me for being Boris. Yes. <laughs> He's just staring at me, licking his nose at the moment, like saying, what are you doing? I'm, I'm talking to a computer monitor. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, you've lost it. You finally lost it. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it like the way you were at your friend's house um, and you always, your mum would make you say, thanks for having me to their mum before you, before you left. <laughs> that is hilarious. I know, right? And you're like, I don't want to say that, but you kind of have to. Yeah. Or when you're leaving your friend's house and it's like, okay, bye. And then you hug and then you talk for another 15 minutes. And it's like, okay, I got to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> just, just cut me off. Just cut me off. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> just hang up the call. Just... Good God, this must end. All right, so we've had the spoiler-free section. So we've had the great interview. Now we're going to talk a little bit more in depth. So first and foremost, let's talk about a few triggers. Really, I think, okay, in all seriousness, the big trigger that I want to tell people about is sexual assault. Um, I mean, obviously, it's there's a lot of horrific things that happen. It is a horror book, and there's niche phobias and squeamish things that happen. But that's really the big um, trigger warning, is that there is sexual assault. Yeah, and within sexual assault, specifically, we're talking about just straight sexual assault, necrophilia, as well as incest. I will never give a trigger warning for necrophilia <laughs> because i am all about necrophilia in books it is creepy and i love it i in movies i haven't read i don't think any books featuring necrophilia until this one and i have to say i'm not real comfortable with it <laughs> not 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 really my bag so all kidding aside that is your trigger warning consider yourself warned if you don't want to hear any more spoilers now is the time to go and come back later. But now that the spoiler warning is in full effect. Let's do it. Let's talk about it. So we love the book, obviously. We oh, loved this book. Absolutely. Um, we Should we talk about like the squeamish things? Yes. So I'm pulling up my notes right now. Well, I'll just go ahead. David has a knack for bringing in 
fears and and icks for <laughs> individual people. Uh, the- icks is a technical term as well as um, working the bag. <laughs> I mean, th- his first book had a lot of stuff for people who are arachnophobes, as well as just stuff. This one was seems like it was more directed towards me than it was towards you, particularly <laughs> when it came to eye trauma. Oh, Scott hates eye trauma. I mean, he loves it, but he hates it, right? Because it just... No, I hate it. Okay, but There's read... There's no love. There is no love. <laughs> there is no love to eye trauma It's better to read it than to see it in a movie, right? 100%. Absolutely. Uh, this didn't get me as much as, as some movies do, but when... The, the the scene that really got me was actually not the scene you highlighted towards the end. It oh. was actually more when uh his his eyeball falls out and he's looking for it and puts it back in. <laughs> oh god, that made me laugh. I that was real rough for me. I mean, me. it was tense, but it also made me laugh. No, it was hysterical. Yeah, because it, it, it's horrible because you're like, oh my god, oh my god, he's gonna find her, he's gonna he's gonna get her. But um, it's also just funny because he's like, obviously, he's looking for an eye that fell out. And then apparently I have a fear of skinless things. <laughs> well, that's, that's new. Yeah. Well, it's not something, again, that I've come up across. I mean, I know that like the idea of being flayed or, or skinned or scalped is, is always been a thing. It, it, that is a thing for me. Well, it's a thing for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but but the, the, the little girl and her having no skin and she, it just being the 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 veins oh, and the way that it's popping in the fire and she, oh it's just oh, so gross i loved everything about that absolutely disgusting scene of this little girl in a dirty wedding dress and yeah and she's just horrifying and then she's veiny and they're like like so many garden hoses these <laughs> veins pop and and spurt blood everywhere and it's just like you, you can see yourself like if you had to be fighting her you'd almost be like good god i don't want to touch it with my hands there's a lot of scenes in this book that are like I, I I don't know if I could handle this. I mean I know it's life or death, but I can't shove a brick into someone's gray matter. That's just disgusting. <laughs> I I don't know. He really had it coming. Oh oh, he had it coming. I just don't know if I if I psychologically could do that. Um, I don't want to quote directly from the book. Um, I, well I don't know. It's the spoiler section, and everything. But there's a part where, with that little girl, with that veiny little Harriet, right, where she's fighting her, Elspeth's fighting her, and she like has this little inner monologue moment of, "She's a child. Is she an innocent? Like, can I do this?" And then she's like, "No, no f- this bitch. That bitch. Yeah, like <laughs> she's crazy. She's not a child anymore. Show no mercy. She's a horrible, murderous creature." <laughs> Um, no, there was, I thought, I thought the eye trauma that was going to be the worst for you was the eye sucking. That was real bad. <laughs> that was, that was a lot of bad. <laughs> so horrible. <laughs> and he like does it multiple times. Doesn't he lick and suck an eyeball? Oh, like, oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm enjoying, I'm sorry. I'm, I, I'm torturing um, you a little bit and I am enjoying it. I blocked that out. <laughs> I forgot about that with his tongue. Pro. Oh, there okay. we go. Yeah. Yeah. This had a lot. This had a lot going for it against me (laughs) um there was one thing i know we both appreciated there was a house of the dead video game reference in there one of scott and i's favorite video games thank you for that david we bonded quite a bit over that game yes we did Um, we had the home version (laughs) there's also oh but we had the little guns though so we could still like feel like we were in the we played it in arcades oh yeah absolutely um there's also some 
okay, how do I put this? A trope that I love that I don't see nearly enough in horror movies, of course, used most brilliantly in Pet Cemetery. There is Achilles heel trauma, which yeah. is like, I cannot even, that makes me squeamish. That makes me super squeamish. I didn't know that that was actually a thing that you had. It, well, it, I, I love it. It's kind of like decapitations where I'm like, I, I, it's like, it's horrible, but I'm always like, ooh, goody. It's a very effective method of, of crippling someone. Yeah. Uh, David has a lot of really wonderful turns of phrase and leads with words, too. And sometimes it gets quite poetic. There's a moment where he's talking about floorboards that I particularly liked where... Um, he says wooden flooring is like a ghost. Yes. Yeah. He has a lot of like really beautiful turns of phrase too. Besides being funny and also horrific, as we pointed out, he he is quite a good wordsmith as well. Um, that that really stuck out to me. Uh, oh, one more squeamish thing. There's also some teeth stuff, which teeth are like the grossest things ever. They're horrible. The sounds of teeth, enamel on enamel, rotten teeth. And the way that he describes the teeth cracking and shattering into the gums because the other, because, because the dude is literally destroying them with his own teeth by yeah. biting into them. That was... I, that's original. That's a new one for me. I, I, I could have never even thought of that in my wildest nightmares, and it might be in them now. <laughs> so away from all of the wonderful um, gore and creepiness, there's a different type of creepiness that takes place in this book, which David did also use in uh, in Forgotten Island. He used some really scaring, disturbing, horrible things that real people do to each other. So besides um, the sexual assault that happens uh, from the creatures, creature men, there is also just kind of this bigger theme with Elspeth and the first actress and their treatment on the set. They're being taken advantage of. There's a voyeurism. There's um, a lot of reminiscence to what we call in pop culture now, the Me Too movement of somebody who has an authority over you or is manipulating you or making you feel that you are guilty or you owe them or the project something, uh, which is really just a way for them to make you feel sexually vulnerable. And I talked earlier about how much I enjoyed Elspeth's in internal dialogue. Oh, that was heartbreaking. And that's why the way that she's being manipulated, the yeah. way that she is she's questioning her own observations. She's in, in some ways being gaslit yeah. and just being being just completely manipulated into doing what they want her to do. It's it's very sad but very believable. Oh, and it's just like that whole scene where she's disrobing and she's thinking of her girlfriend. It just like it it was heart wrenching and so hard to read and it made you feel a new level of love for this character to have that vulnerability that she was showing so that you really felt like just even more invested in her as a person and as a character. And the fact that she kind of got into this situation because she was helping another woman get out of it. It's just like, oh, it it's relatable for me and for a lot of people out there where you can just really feel a lot of compassion for her. Um, she's a strong, salty badass, but it's nice that she has layers and she has to go through uh, a struggle like that because so many people will be able to see themselves in that, unfortunately. Um, I also really like the way that he handled Deke. 
who was a, a bystander who did nothing, and, and that and he was he was an asshole because of it. Yeah, but it, you know, it, there was a uh, he thought like, well, I mean, like it's not that bad that I didn't do anything, right? But he knows in his heart. He knows. I, I, that's another thing where I appreciate the complication of his characters because Deke himself is not a bad person, but makes just. Bad, bad decisions and and like for anybody but let alone elspeth is his friend so you're really like seriously deke screw you you suck yeah um robert <laughs> the director in general is a great example of being an insidious disgusting horrible person who does have a few funny moments and you just feel like you know that person and you're like i can't stand this asshole i think everyone has known someone who is so in their own mind and so proud of their just existence (laughs) that that they expect everyone around them to to be in awe and to do as they say yeah that is so true yeah screw that guy i mean like seriously his death i was like good riddance bad rubbish and but it's still pretty brutal it is pretty brutal i love the way that he has created ted and just his (laughs) entire existence in this book oh my god one yeah this is a this is a man who has worked with actors yeah (laughs) and two this is i mean he he gets it Uh, actors can have a little bit of a of Ego? A, uh, yeah that yeah, a uh-huh. divishness self centered Scott is an actor, so this is not um this is not a him dig. hating on this actors. Not, like, yeah, I I can see a little bit of myself in him when I'm in acting mode. <laughs> but there's like this one part. It's one of my favorite funniest parts of the book when Ted um pipes up in a conversation and everybody's like, "Oh, Ted's still here." Everybody forgot about Ted. Yeah. <laughs> and David, tell us the truth. Did you forget Ted was there for a while? Because we all did. We all forgot about Ted. I feel like this is one of those things where where he went on with the book and he he finished his first draft and then went, oh, shit, what happened to Ted? I got to put Ted in I there. I have to so kill more- Ted. Yeah, I got to kill off Ted. So I got to put a little more Ted in there before I kill off Ted. <laughs> Um, I liked the whole mythos of the Crawford family and the manor. Um, there wasn't a ton of backstory, which I think was appropriate because I didn't want it to get bogged down with, okay, well, how did this come to be? And how is this? I wanted to know, and he does tell us, but it's not like you're just like pouring through a lot of um, pointless backstory. Does that make sense? Did you feel the same way? I, yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> In a word, yes. <laughs> uh, affirmative. Affirmative. Can we talk a little bit about the ending? I uh, Yes. So there is one point near the end, but not quite the end, that um, I really, really loved. And it is when Elspeth makes it out of the house. And she she did it. She got out of the house. But you know the book is not over there still is a final act to come because you just know there's that much left in it but she did it she did it she achieved it and she says i fucking won and i was just so happy because no matter what happened after that point i'm like she did and anything that she happens won. from now on yeah she is did win. her agency yeah it's her she choice did. she did win yep 
She majorly won. Yes. And then, of course, it's so painful, though, because we know, and she's going to soon find out, her girlfriend is still in there, and she needs help. Yeah. She's going to need some help. And just her whole discovery that Sandy is in there was like, oh, God. Oh, God. This is going to this gonna be a whole thing. She's got to go back in that house. And I wasn't sure how it was going to go, because it it's would be very easy and incredibly satisfying, make no mistake, to have her go back in and just start kicking ass. And well, she really does. And though. she does, but yeah. she also does it in a way that is that is very realistic and very human, where yeah. I, I shot a gun once. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where I'm aiming. I don't know how to yeah. manage the safety. I don't know any of this stuff. Yeah. But, and, and, you know, she gets pretty messed up in the process as well. Oh, yeah. She's she loses a lot of blood in this book. There's constantly bits being taken out of her in some yeah. way or the other. There's a lot of just like gore, dirty gore in Ugh. in this book. I mean, yeah, she. You can just imagine that by the end, she's just covered in everything. Yeah, everything, but all of it, all of it, every bodily fluid, but especially blood. Just all blood. Like we're talking Carrie on the stage. <laughs> So specifically, since this is the spoiler section, let's talk about really the end end of the book, which is that the girls win. They defeat uh, those dastardly mutants. Um, So, so good. And, well, the house is on fire and it's kind of crumbling into the sea. And, and, well, Sandy's had her eyeballs ripped out. But despite all of that, I still felt like they won because they did not die in that house they did not die from the stupid mutants like they did it and i mean they could live they, they, they could survive could that fall i'd like to think that they lived but yeah me but too. i mean they probably didn't and i think that's kind of the point is they got to choose yeah how they went yeah they they, they went together even though you know they they probably did not survive it they still kept their agency. They still kept yeah. their power. Yeah. And again, I, I do like to think that they survived. But I don't know. Maybe maybe the human soul can't recover from this incident they've been through. Maybe they die. I'd like to think that the human soul can. Maybe it can't. But it still is like um, a really nice open-ended way to be like, maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. But they're in love. They're going to get married. Sandy proposed. And they're together. And they held hands and did it. And it's like, it's really beautiful. And despite it being ambiguous, which I do like ambiguous endings, but despite that, it still felt like a triumph. I, I agree wholeheartedly. I, I I felt that that was actually kind of an original ending to to a story as well. To a story and to a, a slasher yeah. sort of thing. Really, um, you know, flipped the trope, which I appreciated. You usually, what you usually see is you see um, the, the quote unquote final girl, you know, walking away from the wreckage and surviving, or you see them, you know, unsuccessful and slowly or quickly dying and that's that's the end of it to have something where you have the best of both worlds you have that 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 triumph that success that escape yeah but still have at the end of the day no one can really survive it it was it was really satisfying yeah and i'm glad crawford's all the crawford's are dead in this book i'm glad about that uh, i don't know robert's father's still kicking around yeah but he's not really in the book at least 
So I'm going to start us off with our executions. Executions. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you want to give it how many eyeball licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop? I, I'm i sorry. <laughs> I just blacked out for a moment. What was that? <laughs> what? Are, no, I do not. No? Okay. <laughs> no, I do not. Okay. How about this? How many bricks to the brain matter? <laughs> so uh, okay. I'm going to go first. Um, I celebrate this book. I am going to give this nine bricks to the brain out of ten. Um, here's... There's the the long and the short of it. I know I love David's writing. And it's a little surprising because in a lot of ways, David's nuts and bolts style is not quite my style. You you know, we all know I like really flowery. I like um, a lot of prose. I like a lot of description. I like a lot of meaty details. No pun intended in this book. And that's not David's style. That's not to say, obviously, he has no sense of exposition, because he does. But on paper, his writing is not totally my thing. However, the way he does it it is, in my opinion, masterfully executed. And I love his stories, and I love his characters, and I love how um, sick and twisted, so twisted it all is, but yet still has heart, which really is important. Um, I'm going to adopt David's slogan from his afterword, embrace the trash. (laughs) Embrace the trash, people. So that all having been said, nine bricks. I I really appreciate how cinematic David Sodergren's writing is. I feel that he comes at it from a, a, a cinematic perspective. This would go onto a screen as written beautifully and perfectly. Uh, some of the deaths could have gone a little bit longer, despite being just absolutely disgustingly horrific. But at the same time, I'm kind of glad that they didn't. Uh, it's It kept a really fun pace and a really, really fast progress while still being horrifying and and enjoyable. I'm going to give it eight bricks out of ten to the brain pan, to the to the gray matter. I can't really think of much I'd do different with a book like this. His his mastery of the genre is very clear, and I loved it. And I thought he did a great job. And that's why you all read it, right? And you love it. You bought it. You own it. And you love it. We hope so. So, as per usual, you can find us on social media. Um, I know on Instagram, we posted our TBR. We're trying to be really good about that, guys, and post our TBRs, um, like at least, you know, three books at a time, so that you guys can see it and you can read along, or you can kind of know what's coming. Maybe it's something you've already read. Maybe it's something like you'll move to the top of your stack or look into because the title or author intrigues you. And you can also get in contact with us at podcast at genrejunkies.com. We love to talk to you guys. So, I mean, you can get a hold of us just about anywhere but Facebook. Because forget Facebook. Facebook. Um, And we we have a patron. So if you want to give us money. Patreon. Patreon. I always say it one way or the other, and it's never right. We have a Patreon. You can give us money if you want to, and we will give you treats. Uh, Treasures beyond your wildest imagination. We've got bookmarks we've got stickers we've got hats we can write to you we can sing to you this is all i mean this is all just within your grasp so take a look at that we've got to be better about advertising that but we 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 do do. have it yes and there are some people participating and bless those folks all right everybody i'm so happy that we got to hang out and talk horror i'm sandra i'm scott please keep reading past your bedtime (laughs) 